And this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, me and Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mr. Mavs Draft or Mavs Magic Draft, we will discuss some of the underperforming prospects and if they will have enough time to turn it around. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And as I mentioned in the opening... My co-host for today is Richard Stamen, Mavs and Magic Draft, two teams that are have could possibly have very, very different draft day scenarios. Orlando could possibly have two picks. I'm actually rooting for the Magic to make the playoffs. Two picks in the lottery. Potent, and there's a chance they can have two lottery picks, but I'm actually rooting for them to make the playoffs. I think they're like four games out as of right now, of the 10th spot. But the way they're playing, I think they have a chance. And then Dallas got a win last night, but it is not all well <laughs> in Dallas from a Mavericks fan perspective. Uh, people are just hoping that some major trade is going to be made. I don't know what's going to happen there. But anyway, we're here to talk about some guys that are underperforming. But before we get into that, I know it's a little chilly here in Dallas. Most people are kind of snowed in. How's your day been? You know, it's uh, it's been different. Just not being able to leave the house, anything. It uh, it's, it feels like every what end of January, February, same thing. But I've been able to do uh, you know, more time for watching film and everything. So not not the worst thing to happen. I had to leave the house this morning to get some baby milk. So uh, I end up going to CVS because it was closer, which means I spent more money than I would have if I went to Walmart. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking out the window and I, I stay by by the tollway and I barely see any cars. So I think a lot of people were smart by by staying in. All right, let's, let's talk about guys that are underperforming and whether they're underperforming or not, I guess that is a, a matter of opinion. Um, who is the guy that is number one or first name that comes to mind for a player that is underperforming that you think can turn it around? Man, I think it's hard. I think the most likely to turn it around of the big three that I've thought of as the biggest underperformers, I think it's Derek Lively. I think we're starting to see him turn that corner. He started the season just so, so slowly. I think outside of the ACC play so far, his only really good game was against Maryland Eastern Shore, which if I'm not mistaken, I think they're one of the worst D1 teams. So I take that with an absolute grain of salt, but he has been looking good. I mean, over the weekend, he had a pretty nice flash. We're seeing more and more flashes. I mean, as we're recording this, Duke is playing and I know he's had a decent game. He's getting to the line. He, he had 15 attempts from the free throw uh, line heading into the year for the year he's or for tonight. He's at four at the moment. So that's already a quarter of that. Uh, I think the more aggressive he gets without fouling, more likely he is to improve his stock. So you're a lively guy though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've been, I think we've had this conversation. I mean, the whole where versus lively since like what August. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a lively guy at all. 
I like, all right, so sell me on Lively, right? What what is it that that has why is the reason you haven't sold your stock yet? I guess that's the best way to answer. So I haven't sold all my stock is how I would put it. I've definitely sold a good amount, but for me, it's just, you look at somebody who's his size. I think there was like a rumor that he had a seven, eight wingspan, which was completely debunked, uh, which I think it's only like seven, three, seven, four, which is fine. Uh, but I think just looking at his frame, he can dominate at the rim on both ends. He's been an absolutely great Bob target at Duke. I think if he just learns how to be aggressive at the rim, I think it would help him. And then on top of that, I do buy the three point shot. I saw it a lot in high school. I think it really can translate eventually, but that's a long ways down the road. I think really it's just getting him disciplined on defense. And it's interesting because last year I was so low on guys like Peyton Watson that were really just struggling. But I think the difference with Lively is one, there's been very real flashes in college, whereas Watson stuff was pre-college. And then also he's actually still efficient. Like that's, it's just the volume is so low. It's just not as much as we want to see. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I mean, he has to be efficient because everything is at the rim. So, yeah, and the shots that he's been getting, he's been spoon fed. I just haven't been a lively guy. And he, I get it. He looks the part. Like you see his size and all that. My question with him is like, what does he do well? Like he had this reputation of being this great defender and this great shot blocker. Haven't seen that. Um, not a post move. I don't see like any post moves and I don't see like a great motor either where he could come in and like, even be like a Nick Claxton guy. I don't see a great motor. And my biggest concern is if the jump shot starts falling, I think he's going to be that dude that only shoots jumpers. (laughs) And so I, and I get, I could be totally wrong. Like he could end up falling late in the first round and going to a team where he looks like a Nick Claxton, where he just has a very simplified role of defend, play hard and catch lobs. And he could totally prove me wrong. But for some reason, like my gut feeling is just like not sold on him. I don't know how, how tough he is, if that makes sense. And I had a conversation with a scout about Lively, and and his his assessment was really, really brutal. But his assessment was more so based on that that Lively was never that good, but he felt like the rankings in high school put this extreme amount of pressure on him. And made people think that he was going to be this this really good one and done double double guy in college and he he says like lively is exactly where he expected him to be he didn't expect a, a big year but he's like unfortunately because he was ranked high and because of the hype around him is going to look like he's been a disappointment and he said which is really unfair to the kid because he thinks that he is exactly where he expected him to be, which, you know, makes sense. Um, I didn't take it that far, but if he has a James Wiseman type struggle to his career, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And we've talked about it before. I liked Wiseman. Wiseman has kind of been a guy that I think the, the signs were there that of his struggles, but it was such a small sample size. And like I had mentioned in one of our comments, um, 
on a previous video, if Lively played two games or three games like Wiseman did, and he like had like a bunch of dunks against, you know, some directional school, <laughs> like, you know, Iowa, Northwestern technical school, like Wiseman did, and he shuts it down after three games, he's a top 10 pick, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's just my assessment on, on Lively. He's, I don't have him as a first round pick right now. On my mock, I have him as a second round pick, but I could easily be wrong. All right. Who is another player that is, in your opinion, is underperforming that could possibly turn it around? You know, I I want to stick with the the big two because they're together, but I, I don't think I actually have a ton of faith in uh, Khalil Ware turning it around. I just, I'm not super high on that. So I'll go with somebody else, which is, uh, sorry to throw that curveball at you, but I'll go with Arthur Kaluma. I think he's somebody who he has a good chance to turn it around just he's so inconsistent luckily for him there's volume there and there are nice flashes like when he makes a shot like you know like it has flair with it the problem is when he makes a mistake there's a also equal opposite amount of flair you know when he makes a mistake you're scratching your head you're going really like right after there's a lot to like and there's also a lot to dislike at the moment his game is just not visually pleasing to me right there are times where you're like, wow, that's some impressive footwork. And then there are times where it's like, all right, he's not blowing by guys. And then he's only like bullying guys, but then he doesn't always get right to the rim. And then it ends up being like this really tough contested shot. I mean, the shooting splits, 43, 32, 72 aren't good. If he ends up becoming like a, decent three-point shooter, then I think that's going to like really open things up for him. But he's a 6'7", 225-pound four. Like, I think that's his best position as the four. I don't know if you can really play him at the three if he's not a threat to space the floor. I don't know. I think it's just all going to depend on the jump shot. All going to depend on the jump shot. If he can, like I said, knock down threes, then he's going to be have some advantages because he's going to be able to attack closeouts. But I don't think he has the speed to beat threes or wings off the dribble. Yeah, his, honestly, and I had mentioned it in my last, uh, in my I think it was my last podcast. Whatever, somebody it was a mailbag. He might have should have left after the Kansas game last year. <laughs> like, I don't know if he's going to have a better performance this year than he did against Kansas. I mean, he looks great. He was knocking down threes and the numbers are an improvement this year, but they're very gradual. Like his points per game is up, you know, a little less than three. The field goal percentage is actually down. The three point percentage is up to 32%, which is not terrible, but I don't think anybody believes like he's a threat as, as a shooter. Like where do you actually where do you have him on on your board or like what range? Yeah, I mean, if it, the draft was today, I wouldn't probably draft him. I have him outside of my top sixty. Like I just I see a smaller, more inefficient Siakam want like that archetype, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, what's crazy is I had him like fifteen at one point coming into the season. I just yep, thought he same. was going to be that sophomore, and you know you always talk about that best sophomore usually pops and I had him between him and Turquavion. Those are the two guys that I thought I was going back and forth. And now when I did my mock, it was like, all right, 
is he on here? I mean, he was barely made my top 60. And I think he can be a guy that could definitely um, uh, be a victim of the two teams not having picks since there's only going to be 58 picks this year. I mean, I, I just think that he has to come back to school. It, it only makes sense for him to come back to school and spend the entire summer shooting threes. That's the only thing I can think of for him. All right, when we return, we'll talk about a few more guys that at least, well, I say they started the season off. We probably had them a little bit higher than where they are now. But let's talk about our brand new sponsor. It is a name that I'm sure you all are familiar with. But if you're not, it is FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And this year, the only app that you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. And like I mentioned, we are really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because it is the number one sports book in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that will make betting on sports fun and easy. So download FanDuel now and you can bet on the Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, I had to make sure I read that correctly. $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel, it lets you bet on everything from the money line to the point spreads and who will score a touchdown. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel the official sports book partner of the NFL and Locked On. So once again, thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And we are covering some prospects that have been a little underwhelming. All right, who is number three on your list? I'm going to go somebody who I think all things considered, this guy has probably been the most disappointing and underwhelming prospect of the entire draft uh just i know we talked about two guys who i mean one lively being he was the number one recruit and then also with arthur kaluma somebody both of us had in the top 20 but i mean this player has just gone backwards and that's harrison ingram at stanford uh statistically and on the eye test i just i don't see it i i thought there was an opportunity for him where if he just became just an efficient shooter like he didn't need to make a drastic jump go to 35% from 31 and said he's up from 31.3 to 31.4. Like that's been his loan improvement, I would say for the year. And that's really alarming. His free throw percentage is incredibly dangerous. It was already bad at 66, went down to 59. I just don't know. I, I still see people putting him in the second round. And I think it's just kind of living in the past. Yeah. He has a very, very interesting decision to make <laughs> this summer. Stanford is not going to make the tournament unless they have some miracle run. And you have to factor, I don't know, is it six or seven years that they've since they last made the tournament? So you expect a coaching change there. He entered, or he put his name in last year, and I remember seeing him at the pro day. So I don't know. I don't know if you get two or you get three. Somebody told me it's three, but he's already put his name in the draft. Does he transfer? Does he stay? Big decision to make. I mean, the way his season has gone this year, you can't imagine that he has a, a good buzz or momentum coming into the draft. So it's almost like, all right, it's best for him to, 
to actually stay in school and maybe consider his options. But no matter what, I think he is going to end up having to play for a new coach. And that's always, you know, a, a sticky situation. Some of it, I think, is he doesn't really have good teammates around him. I think that's part of it. Um, but he has a, a weird, maybe weird is not the best word to use. He has a unique game that he he does so many things well. And I think his best position is as like a primary ball handler, but that's not a role that he's going to play in the NBA. I mean, that's kind of like how he made a name for himself was he was this big, you know, six, I was really six, eight, 200. I mean, just this big physical point guard and decision maker, but that's not going to be his role in the NBA. And then if you see him at Stanford, he has the ball in his hand some, but he's also in the corner, which he doesn't have the shooting to really be a threat in the corner. I mean, it's going to be very, very, very weird. So my question for you is, if you're Harrison Ingram, what do you do? Do you stay? Do you transfer? Or do you put your name in the draft? I'm not putting in my name in the draft. Uh, you got to have thick skin if you're doing that. I, I think you're – I think you got to transfer. I mean, Stanford – look, we saw stuff with Tyrell Terry being very uh, actively adamant against that program. I, I think it's best that. for him to get out. I didn't, I didn't see anything about Tyrell Terry being actively aggressive against Stanford. But the thing about Stanford is weird. And I, I, I still maintain this. And this was like my theme two years ago. Zaire Williams went number 10. He was, I don't want to use the word off, but he was extremely inefficient at Stanford. The numbers didn't look good. I still don't understand why he went 10th and BJ Boston went like in the 40s, right? I guess... Zaire showed some flashes last year, but I still don't, I, for the life of me, I still don't understand why he was given the benefit of the doubt. And I ended up talking to some people and they were like, well, you know, the situation at Stanford was crazy because of COVID. He was playing with a hurt leg. Um, they basically were on the road. They couldn't practice because of the COVID restrictions, yada, yada, yada. But he was given the benefit of the doubt, right? <laughs> so... You can really, if a person just wanted to just play devil's advocate and say, well, Zaire Williams was given, you know, a boost because they considered all the factors around and they considered that he didn't have great teammates, yada, 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 which Stanford, it makes it very hard to recruit because of their, you know, just the academics. You could say the same thing about Vanderbilt. So somebody could say, well, we've seen Zaire, he's been okay. He's a first round pick. Maybe if Harrison was around different teammates, he could regain some of the stock. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, but I, yes and no. I think it's a lot different when you're talking about a rising junior and somebody who just finished their freshman season. I think, yeah, he probably could be better with better teammates. I don't think his teammates are that terrible. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful. There's a lot of worse places he could be even within his own conference. Like they're not the worst team in their own conference, but I think that argument works for him transferring more than him going to the NBA. Like I I'm using that defense when I'm going to like, if I'm going somewhere back, I mean, he goes to SMU or something like that, which I mean, they're struggling right now, but like he's in a comfortable environment. There is somebody who's probably going to play in some NBA facility or uh, excuse me, like just in that chain, you know, like I, I think something maybe better suited 
like that for him. And what's his role? That's that's the biggest question. Like, what is his role? Like, because even in even if he transfers, right, and they put him in the role as a primary ball handler, which I think is his best strength, where he's best at. Because I don't I don't think if you take him off the ball, then you really magnify some of his weaknesses. But let's say they put him in the role where he has the ball in his hands. And then it's going to change again once he gets back to the NBA. So, like, in, in your opinion, like, what is his best role? His most ideal outcome is something teams won't let him do until he's an established player. And it's a whole chain, which is, I mean, I think it's the most obvious one, Kyle Anderson. But I think people forget Kyle Anderson wasn't magically Kyle Anderson. He had to he had to be good at a specialized role. He was good at defense. He was good at passing. His shot wasn't really there, but he was crafty enough as a slasher to make it work. I don't think Harrison Ingram has those tools. I'm in the exact same boat. I, I think personally, he's really stiff on defense. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are high on his defense. I'm not there. I don't think he has great enough tools to make up for it. And if he's not going to shoot, when, you, when you're a wing that can't, I don't think defend or shoot very well, it's really hard to thrive. All right, when we return, I have a Kyle Anderson story. All right, last segment. And before we left, I had mentioned Kyle Anderson. So one of like the the coolest experiences of my basketball life was, I say it was like 2014, Carmelo Anthony invited some people to come to his pro week. So it was a pro week. It was at his um, Terminal 23 gym in New York City. I remember Kevin Durant showed up. Carmelo, um, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, David Lee, Nerlens Noel. I think they had just finished like their rookie year. Nerlens Noel, Kimba Walker, Lance Stevenson. Uh, I can't think of all the names that were there. And Kyle Anderson was there, right? Oh, uh, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith is like the best pickup basketball player <laughs> I've ever seen. Like if you did not know names and you just went in there and you watched guys play pickup, you would not – believe that J.R. Smith was on a tier below Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony. You would think like they were all even, right? I mean, I'm talking, this guy was dunking off the wrong leg. I mean, in traffic, it was just amazing to see him just play free and just hoop. Well, Kyle Anderson was there and nobody could guard him because he was so slow. And I remember that a couple of the guys just kind of talking and they're like, you know, in conventional wisdom, you want to beat a guy to the spot when he's driving. And they're like, I would beat Kyle there, and he's still not there yet. <laughs> and because I beat him to the spot, you know, it just gave him an easy rhythm jump shot because you're just so used to just trying to anticipate and cut guys off. And, I mean, they were all just raving about how, like, his game is so unorthodox because he's so slow. And it was just cool to actually see it in person because there's, you know, you watch a lot of basketball like I do. I mean, you see guys in their roles, right? But when you see them playing like pickup and just freely, it just gives you a totally different respect for what guys can and can't do. And like I said, Kyle Anderson was <laughs> incredible that week because he was, I mean, his timing was just throwing everybody off. But anyway, all right, I want to add a guy that I – that I feel like has underwhelmed. Um, Kaluma was one of was one of the guys that I had number one on my list. Tyrese Hunter. Tyrese 
had so much momentum coming into this season. He had a big tournament game. I want to say it was against LSU when he was a freshman at Iowa State. Had a big tournament game where he knocked down a bunch of jump shots, which is his biggest weakness is his jump shot. And then he had a game against Gonzaga earlier earlier in the year where he knocked down, you know, a bunch of jump shots. You know he can defend. You know he has the speed. I feel like he hasn't made a shot since the Gonzaga game. I know he had an absolutely brutal December where I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say he shot, I mean, I'm guessing under 35% for the month. And I just think that he made a mistake in transferring to Texas. They have so many guards. You can make a case and say he's been their third best guard. Uh, you know, Serge Barry Rice has been good. Fourth. Well, fourth. He, I still see him on some draft boards, but to me, that's amazing because if you're a small guard, you have to be dynamic. You have to be really, really good. And I imagine he probably thought he was just going to do one season at Texas and be out. Now he looks like he needs to come back. And if he does leave, then he's making a huge mistake because he's going to be in the G League. What have your thoughts been on Tyrese Hunter? Yeah, so I let's uh, I'll answer your question of the stats. So he averaged seven points a game, uh, four assists, four rebounds on 31% shooting, 24% from three and 50% from the line. But on a more extended scale, the he had a great start. For the first seven games, double digits in every single game, competition was actually pretty weak. Uh, the only two teams, he three teams he really played were Creighton, Illinois, and Gonzaga. You could maybe count UTEP, but I, I personally don't. In that stretch, he averaged 15 points a game, four rebounds, two assists. He was shooting 52%, 36% from three. Everything was good. In the now 17 games since then, he is averaging eight and a half points, 32% shooting, 28.6 from three, 74% from the line. And like you said, like when you're a small guard, your margin for error is just ridiculously slim. I, I look at a guy like Kendrick Davis, who I, I think he's so talented. I don't know if he'll stick in the NBA. And that says a lot because he's like 5'11", if that. I, I know he's listed as six feet. He is not that. But, you know, somebody like him, he can't latch on. The difference, obviously, between the two is age. But with Hunter, if you're not a consistent shooter, you have to be like the best six-foot defender you've ever seen. I think at this point to to stick, something that I saw recently was this average size of a guard in the NBA has gone up two inches in the last like three years. So these undersized guards, like they're just not anything. They're not around anymore. There's no Earl Boykins sprinkled in here. Like every generation, we get these unbelievably short guys, like Earl Boykins, you know, obviously Muggsy Bogues. Now six foot is kind of that, that new thing. And if you're not going to be consistently great, you're just not going to stick in the NBA. And it's a really cold, hard truth. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Sharif Cooper is doing in the G league right now. I haven't looked in a week, but he's averaging like 26 a game. And will he get a call up this year? I don't know. I mean, the it, the 10 days are open. And I mean, the, with the two ways, they've kind of, I mean, pretty much ruined 10-day contracts, even though the Mavericks just signed a guy to a 10-day today. Then you look at Kennedy Chandler, who I thought was really good last year. You see where he fell in the draft. And if you're... Tyrese Hunter, if you look at Kennedy Chandler, you can't look at your situation and feel very optimistic that you're going 
to get drafted. <laughs> and so um, you can even say there are games where he looked like he was a three and D point guard, right? Where he's just playing off the ball and he's shooting threes and he's not a good shooter. The shooting, I, I, I thought it, it looked like it was trending in the right direction. After the Gonzaga game, I thought maybe he could be the small guard that has a chance of cracking the top 40. And now, as of right now, unless he just has a miraculous into the season, I don't see him getting drafted. Yeah, I'm same boat. I, I just I, I think again, if you're gonna go small guard, I think there's a lot of other choices that you could go and get one be get someone who's six one instead of six foot, and suddenly the options expand a lot. Like what makes him more special than everybody else at, at his height? Especially when you look at some of these dynamite six one, six foot guards at these mid majors that are a little older, but definitely have a, a better chance of coming in and contributing right away, it's going to be tough for him. Now, is there one more player that, that cracks your list of guys that are a little underwhelming, but you, you think there's a chance that they could turn it around? Well, so I'll kind of tie this together as to another undersized guard who I think actually has been underwhelming. I thought he'd fit a lot better is Nigel Pack, and he's somebody who was on mocks, but he's actually not the guy I want to talk about. It just kind of blended in, I think, what we were saying, the undersized guards. But the real one, I mean, we, I hinted at him earlier. Uh, I've heard both Khalil and Kuel where, but for him, I, I just, the production, I think he's in a also kind of tough situation. You know, the big man rotation at Oregon isn't favorable for him. Um, also, he has to play on that court, which I can't imagine is oh easy God. on him. I don't watch their games. Like, I'll... <laughs> I'll watch it and then I turn it off and I'm like, dang, I need to evaluate. But you can only is... watch road games. You can only yeah. watch that team on the road. It's awful. It is awful. <laughs> but, man. but like, he's one of the guys where, you know, we talked about it with Lively. I think he's going to have not necessarily an opposite thing, but like they're in a similar situation where Lively, I think has a real three point shot. I personally have never been in on Ware's three point shot. I know he did some at the U 18s, but I think he's somebody who, if he unlocks it, it probably actually does him better than lively kind of for the reason you said i think where is probably the better rim protector because he is just a little bit more dominant at the moment that being said there's just so many shortcomings where it just feels like he's so raw he still has to learn how to play within his role and he's just not there yet and i i don't know what to make of it long term honestly so here's my question right we've actually seen where make jump shots we haven't seen Lively make a jump shot in the game. Maybe did he make one? And then Lively was two. Okay. <laughs> Lively shooting 53% from the free throw line. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's why I'm like, ah, I don't know. And and I'm thinking, like, if he were a decent shooter, I'm assuming the coach would let him. And so were we fooled? I, I don't know. But let's talk about where. Uh, we already talked about Lively. The motor is the big thing there. The motor is inconsistent. And I also feel like a lot of the recruits, especially if you're a big, like, all right, one, if I'm a big, and this is like grown man Raphael talking, not 18-year-old Raphael. 18-year-old Raphael, if I was seven foot, I probably would have chosen, I don't know, the coolest school. But I just figured, like, if you're a big and you're have NBA aspirations of being a one and done, you need to tie yourself to a point guard that's going to get you the ball. That's number one, right? So 
I jokingly said, um, I can't think of his name. What's the kid at St. Uh, Yuri Collins. If I was like one of the top bigs, I'm calling Yuri Collins and saying, hey, I need you to put your name in this portal. I'm going to this school. Come with me, right? It's going to make me look good. It's going to make you look good. You're going to be on TV, right? Because Yuri Collins is arguably the best passer. If not Yuri Collins, I'm going down to Taryn Armstrong at Cal Baptist. <laughs> saying, hey, come with me. We are going to be the best point guard center combination in the country. So that's number one. Again, this is grown man Raphael talking. Number two, I'm not going to a school like Oregon if I'm a big <laughs> that already has, you know, a good rotation of centers, right? Like, you know, college basketball is not the NBA. The NBA they have a reason to develop you if you're a bad team. They'll play an unpolished rookie over a veteran because they're thinking long-term. In college basketball, that coach is trying to win games right now. <laughs> so he's going to play the best player that is at that position. So where is in a situation where he's not starting? I don't know if he thought um, – uh, what's his name? And Dante, how do you pronounce his name? And Folly, Folly. Yeah, and Folly Dante. I, I don't know if he thought that he was leaving. I don't know what he thought going there. To me, and I'm just totally guessing and speculating here. He was probably wowed by the visit at Oregon and all the Nikes and all the uniforms and all of that, and just didn't pay attention to the fact that they didn't have a great point guard to get him the ball, and that at the very minimum, he was going to split minutes <laughs> at the five. So I personally would have went to, like I said, somewhere with a point guard, maybe somewhere where I'm getting up and down the floor and I'm just running, dunking, blocking shots. And so I just feel like college is the one time where you get to pick your coach, you get to pick your teammates, you get to totally pick your situation. And a lot of people just didn't make the right decision. Of course, you know, the coach that's recruiting them has probably sold them a dream. So, on, you know, that that definitely happens. But I just think that in the right situation, where and lively could have been lottery picks if they weren't in the right situation. So that's just my two cents. Yeah, I, I think he made the wrong decision. I completely agree with you. Like I, I, Everything you said, especially the coaching thing, too where if you're not going to be able to play with one of the elite guards, at least have somebody who has a, a real tangible plan for what they're going to do to play to your strengths, especially when you're that highly ranked of a recruit. Like Khalil Ware was a top 10, 15 recruit. I, you got to go somewhere like that. I mean, Dana, uh, Dana Alban, right? I forget yep. his name yep. well, in Oregon. I, I mean, he's a great coach, but is he going to be great for Khalil Ware? I don't think he has been. Also, want to update you since since uh, we started this segment. Uh, Derek Lively has improved his stats significantly. He is now he's improved his free throw percentage by seven points. He also has had three blocks since we last uh, brought up his name. So he's he's improving. Funny enough, right as we talk about where, but you know, with where I think it, like overall for me, it's just bigs with motor issues scare me. I mean yeah. that that's probably the worst position to have a motor issue at. That's why I'm kind of trending towards out on him. Yeah, a motor a motor is the key. To me, that's the minimum. And to me, that's a skill, right? Playing yeah. hard, 
This is good. I keep bringing up the name, Nick Claxton. He was not highly touted, but he is going to get paid because he has a great motor. He has improved his skill set, but at the very minimum, his motor is going to keep on the floor. And what's so crazy about Claxton is once the Nets get healthy, Ben Simmons is not going to play at all in the fourth quarter because Claxton is going to get all those minutes. And you got to be pretty good if you have a guy, well, Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons, but you got to be pretty good if you're playing over a guy that's making $35 million a year. Well, that wraps up this episode. Once again, thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen. Now check out the Game to Game podcast. Every moment, every performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Rafael Barlow with my co-host Richard Stamen, and we are... Out.